The day that we've set aside to remember the veterans, those who have served our country um, by joining one of the branches of the military and serving in that way, it's easy sometimes not to think about them at times when we've been at relative peace, but we're in a time of war, and, and we certainly so appreciate the reality of the fact that so many young men and women are putting their lives in danger for the sake of freedom. We take our freedom so for granted And there are still, there are people today who don't seem to have a concept of what it's all about, why we are out there fighting for freedom. Why do we care about some third world country having freedom? Why do we put our lives on the line for people who aren't able to defend themselves? Why don't we just protect our own borders? But, you know, every person that represents this nation in the military is keeping every one of us not only safe, but free, because our freedom is only as good as what somebody will step up to the plate and defend wherever freedom is challenged. And so we certainly appreciate those who, you know, some of us just have strong political opinions. Other people have put their lives on the line in order for us to be able to have those opinions. And we should never forget that. It should be remembered and appreciated more than just one day a year. Um, But we do appreciate those of you who have done much more than talking and voting, but you put your lives on the line, and we appreciate you. Um, Could we just have all the veterans stand? God bless each of you for what you were willing to give. Um, You know, when some people are off serving, there are other people who stay back at home and are giving just as much by allowing their loved ones to um, serve in that way. And um, we have one girl that you've prayed for her husband, but I see Kristen's here tonight and um, her husband, Marcus, is serving in the Marines over in Afghanistan, and was, was, um, his vehicle was hit by a roadside bomb, and he was in critical condition. People prayed, and now he's in, listed in stable condition, um, but we certainly, you know, you can imagine it's harder to be here and have that happen to your loved one than it is probably even for him to be there and go through what he's going through, but... Um, We'd like to make sure that we hold them up in prayer, and um, so let's just do that right now. Stand up, hon. This is Kristen. Her husband, Marcus, is over there in the hospital. They have a little girl, Natalie, also. Lord, we just collectively join our prayers together, and we just thank you so much for sparing Marcus or your hand being on him. So many have gone through this and didn't come out of it. And Lord, we just thank you that he's been able to get the medical care that he needed. And we still place him in your hands. God, I pray that you would just be touching him and healing him each day, calming his spirit also and allowing him to just know that you're with him. Lord, for Kristen and for Natalie being back here, Kristen's holding the fort down here, and that's such a heroic thing for her to be doing as well and releasing her husband to to go and risk his life for us. And God, I just pray that you would cause your spirit just to rest on her. I pray that you would give her a peace that passes understanding and that, Lord, for their little family, they would just sense that your hand is on them and that, Lord, You are protecting and you are working. And God, we just thank you for the knowledge that we don't go through anything like this alone. You're with us every step of the way. So God, just please continue to work and and bless Marcus right now. We thank you that he is your child. 
And Lord, we just pray that you would heal him quickly and bring him home to his wife and daughter quickly in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We've come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'm being ambitious tonight, and it's my intention to get through chapters 8 and 9. Yeah, you laugh, but they just fit. You, when, when you see what they're about, you'll probably appreciate that, but also they fit together as a unit. But they're also about giving, and you know, most pastors would drag this out and milk it every week and then take an offering, but... Um, I, you know, it, it is important. I don't want to belittle the importance of it, but it's so important, I think, that we see it as a unit because Paul was dealing with some particular issues that they had as he was taking up a... Paul was basically fundraising on behalf of some of the churches, especially in Jerusalem, where they were going through a tough time. And... Uh, but at the same time, as he is preparing to collect money from those who are in Corinth, as he had been collecting it from those in the churches in Macedonia, um, in the process of talking about that, he gives us just some really important insights and principles about giving and how important it is that we give and that we understand the nature of, of, of financially giving. And so it's important stuff. Let's dive right into it. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, if you remember, Corinth is down in the southern part of Greece in a region called Achaia. Macedonia is where Paul's writing from, which is an area north of Achaia, so it's in the northern part of Greece. So he's telling them what's going on where he is in Macedonia there in the churches. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or generosity. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. He said, uh, he's like talking to one church and bragging about another church. And he's, he has basically taken up a collection from the Christians in Macedonia. Now, they were going through tough times themselves. They didn't have a lot. But he says, man, I'm really proud of them the way they've come through and they've really given, given and, and sacrificially, not just given out of the extra that they have, but they gave beyond what would have been a comfortable amount for them to give. They've been incredibly generous. And, um, and again, as he says, not according to their ability, but beyond their ability. And he said, I didn't have to keep pushing the offering plate in front of them. They were pushing it on me. They were insisting that they wanted to give. So this church in Macedonia, just a, a great example of, of those who really wanted to give to others who were in need, even though they were in need themselves, and who wanted to really contribute to the Lord's work. And he says, and... Um, and not only as, verse 5, not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And that's really the proper order. And we're going to see as we go on, Paul has a whole lot to say about the heart and motive of someone who gives. But he says it starts with giving yourself. Sometimes all you can do is give yourself. And that's not so bad. I mean, that's, that's the most important place to start. But once you've given yourself, then you want to give of whatever it is that you have. 
But if you've never given yourself completely to the, if you've never come to terms with the idea that everything that I have comes from God and everything that I have I've given back to God, then giving will be a real sore spot for you and you typically, your giving will be the equivalent to tipping a waiter, you know, the, whatever the percentage is. And God doesn't just want a percentage of what we have. God first wants everything that we have and then wants us to consider, okay, how much are we able to then give back to help others to give to the Lord's work? And they had it in the right order. If you've never really given yourself completely to God, then you don't, giving him a few bucks isn't going isn't to accomplish anything. The money is really, when we give to God, it's really only a symbol of the fact that we're giving ourselves. You can't really put yourself in the plate, but money is that thing that we as a society, we as a people, tend to value the most. Yes, it's artificial. Yes, it's just numbers on paper. And yet it's something that we so often live our whole life for, we use money to define what we are worth. We treat people differently based on the money. We, we, you know, money is a major symbol for us. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so giving money is just a token to say, see, that thing that people value most is not a big deal to me. It, it's the only reason why God takes anything from us. When we give our time to the Lord, it's because time is something we value so much that it's important for us to give it to the Lord. When we deny ourselves and fast, it's not that us not eating helps God, but us not eating helps us to realize that it isn't the most important thing in our lives that you don't have to be thinking about your meals constantly, that as soon as you finish one meal, you don't have to be thinking about the next one. You don't have to be scheming days ahead of time of what you're going to eat. Now, so often, that's, what we, that's the way we think. And so God steps in and says, you'd be amazed what it would do for you if you would just quit eating for a period of time and just focus on me. So... He wants us to give up what's important to us so that we can discover something that's much more important than that. And as we understand how important he is, and as we give ourselves to him, then giving money, giving time, giving of talents, making sacrifices in prayer and fasting and ministry, those things are meaningless when you've put yourself in the plate already. But if you haven't put yourself there yet, then, oh, you're going to hate giving money to God. Every time they take the offering, you're going to grate. And, and to be fair, there are people who have so abused taking the offering. There are people who have so aggressively solicited donations that unfortunately it made it look like God's really poor. And it laid guilt trips on people by showing pictures of starving children and everything, so that you would give out of obligation, which is exactly, precisely what God doesn't want us to do, as we will see as we go on in the passage. But it all starts with the question, and we shouldn't even talk about giving anymore unless you understand, He wants you. He wants to own everything about you. He wants you to take everything that you have and everything that you are and lay it on the line and present even your body as a living sacrifice. And if you haven't done that, you're not really going to care too much about what he says more. So he lays that principle down right off the bat, using the Macedonians as an example to the Corinthians, the Achaeans, as to the fact that the Christians in Macedonia understood this concept and gave of themselves before they gave anything else. And then giving beyond that wasn't difficult for them. And it's the will of God. 
And so in verse 6, we urge Titus that um, as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So he said, I'm sending Titus in order to help you to prepare a collection, to assemble what you have, to try to find how you can arrange things so that you also can make a significant contribution for those who are, who are impoverished and for the nature of the ministry. And so he said, Titus is going to come, and you, you like Titus, you know him, and he's coming to do the advance work to make sure that you have this opportunity. And, and the idea is, and he gets into it later, if you're always hit with an emergency... You don't have the chance to really pray about it and to consider it. And there are some people who jump from emergency to emergency. But it's better to be laying money aside and arranging your finances in such a way that you have some surplus that's available so that when a need arises, you're able to chip in. If you never are able to give, then you're not thinking ahead. That's bad money management, basically. Today I got emailed to me a lot of pictures from El Salvador, from Carlos, Pastor Carlos Bautista down there. Just the devastation that the, that the hurricane caused down there, it was just awful to see that. And, and you, you look at it and you go, I'm going to need to consider how we are to really help. How am I personally to participate in this? And it's the type of thing that we all do. So that's what... That's what Paul is saying is, I'm sending Titus so you guys can kind of get your act together and get ready to help in a, in a significant way. And it's interesting how he says, you guys abound in faith. You abound in speech. You abound in knowledge. You're diligent. And in love, you're, you're amazing. He goes, you guys have so much going for you. But make sure that you abound in this grace also. Again, sometimes we're embarrassed to talk about giving. We shouldn't be. The Bible has a lot to say about it. Jesus said a ton about it. Paul did too. It's, and giving, as we will see, is as much for the giver as it is for the recipient. And we can't let the fact that there are some con men out there rob us of being able to know what God has to say about this important subject because giving is as much of a grace as is love and faith and all these other things too, just as important spiritually. If you are doing all these other things but not giving, there's a grace that's missing is what Paul is pointing out to them. He says, I speak not by commandment. You don't command someone to give. But I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. He goes, I'm not telling you that you have to do what they did, but I'm letting you know what they did because now you have something to compare your devotion to. Others are doing this. What are you doing? And, and I think it, this is a, an important thing for us to consider. In this day and age, a lot of churches are cutting back on a lot of their expenditures for outreach and for missions, for instance. Because, hey, you know, giving's down, people are hurting, we need to take care of ourselves. I think that's a huge mistake. And here we've, we've never done that, even, even at a time when our church was just so broke that we weren't able to make some of the salaries, we made sure that we always took care of missions. Because... This is what shows our level of devotion. And when you start cutting off that, that willingness to give to others, you're cutting at the very heart of what we're all about. And so it's so important. If we have to cut, we have to cut other areas. For instance, right now we're in a building project, and 
you know, the plan was to expand the sanctuary and we're putting in classrooms for the kids and doing some other things. But at this point, the money, and I'm not saying this to get you to give money for this. And I don't even want to want to hear from you about that. But we just have figured, well, it looks like expanding the sanctuary is probably going to have to wait a while until the money is there. And we could go borrow it. But, you know, I just feel like let's let God provide. If he provides, fine. If not, We'll get more crowded if we need to. We'll go to four services or something. But, but we, want to be, we want to be responsible. We don't want to be those who say, well, we're going to take care of ourselves. If we just quit giving to missions, we could take care of the building with no problem. But then we would rip out the very soul of what our church is and of what we are as Christians. And so he says, man, don't forget this grace. This is a part of your character. Your character is demonstrated, and, and nobody's going to know. I don't go look at the tithe records to see who gives and who doesn't, so don't, I'm not going to start calling you out or checking up on you or anything. I really don't, don't even need that aggravation. Um, but you know, and, and you just have to understand that the Scriptures would teach that this is a character issue. And it's part of your character that people see the least, hopefully, but it, it's a critical part. It's a part of your grace, and Paul wasn't apologizing for pointing this out. But he says, I'm not commanding you. I'm testing the sincerity of your love. Just look, compare yourself to what they've done. Look yourself in the mirror and say, is your love being demonstrate, demonstrated by your generosity? That's all. You don't have to. Interesting. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Wow. Remember the context. Remember what he's talking about. And he says, remember Jesus Christ was rich, but he was willing to become poor so that you could be blessed, so that you could be rich. And as he goes on and, and uh, makes it clear, the reason why God blesses us is so that we can bless others. But when we take of our riches and share it with others, we are doing, we're, we're showing that we are following our Lord Jesus Christ. The easiest thing for him would have been to stay in heaven and count his riches. But instead... He made himself the poorest of the poor for us. He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done himself, is the idea. Now, it seems like Paul's pushing this kind of hard, and we haven't even got started yet. But Paul doesn't apologize for this at all. And he makes it clear, though, I'm not doing this to get your money. I'm doing this because you need to understand how important it is that you take this responsibility and opportunity seriously. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. A year ago they were saying, hey, just let us know and we'll, we'll give. But now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. He said, I'm telling this for your advantage. It's going to help you. You've given before, and you've promised to give more. Now it's time to ante up. That's probably a bad metaphor. Um, sorry, I was watching ESPN the other night. But um, he said, it's time for now you to give more. You've given, give more. You've, you've demonstrated that heart. Do it again. And I'm telling you, it's for your benefit. For, verse 12, if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. In other words, I don't expect you to give what you don't have. You're to give as God has prospered you. You're to give out of what God has given you. If you legitimately have nothing, no problem. But, he says, take a good look at what you have, and that's what God is requiring of you. 
That's what he's asking. He isn't saying, you know, put it on your credit card. You know, max yourself out into debt so that you can contribute for the ministry. But he's saying, make sure that you're being responsible with what God has given you because it came from God. And if you really are a child of God, everything that you have belongs to him. And so put it all on the table when you're considering what you're going to contribute. Four, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. I'm not trying to get you to carry the whole load for others. But by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality as it is written. He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. This whole thing of equality is not egalitarianism. It's not so that everyone ends up with the same. That's not what the Bible teaches. But what he's saying is be willing to share. And there are times when you have the ability to give. There are times when you don't. At those times, other people will have the ability to give. But everyone needs to chip in and do their part. There are times when maybe you don't have the finances to give, but you have the opportunity to serve in some other way. It's all about being a part of what God's doing and participating in it together. And that's all he's asking. And then there in verse 15, he's quoting Exodus 16, when God sent manna from heaven. And he said it was amazing. Everyone ended up having enough to eat. And in those cases, there are some people who could gather faster, but they would just share with people who gathered slower so that everyone had plenty. The truth is, if everyone had a heart to share, there would be more than enough to go around. If everyone, and I'll talk about tithing in a minute. I don't believe that the New Testament teaches tithing. But that was a baseline in the Old Testament. Man, if everyone gave really 10% of what they make, there'd be enough to go around and take care of all the needs and everybody who's not working and everything else. You wouldn't need the government to step in or anything else if everyone just did what was the normal basic tax rate in the Old Testament. But people don't do that. His exhortation is, hey, chip in. Let's all realize this is something, an obligation that we share together and like Jesus showed when he pointed at the widow who put her two mites in the offering plate, if all you can do is give a little bit, that's okay. There are other people who can give more, and we're all to be giving what we can and what the Lord lays on our heart and what we're able to give, and together we'll come up with enough to do what God wants to do. And he says, but, verse 16, thanks be to God, who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. Titus is coming, he goes, he cares about you guys as much as I do. I care about you, and that's why I'm telling you, you need to give. And Titus has that same heart for you. He's not coming to try to squeeze you. He's not some sort of, you know, bag man who's going to come and make you give. No, he's coming to you because he has the same heart for you that I do. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. When I suggested this, Titus was saying, hey, let me go talk to the Corinthians. I know those guys. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us, to the glory of the Lord himself, and to show your ready mind. He said, Titus is coming, and there's also another guy that he calls the brother who's coming with him. Now, the brother isn't named, but we see a little bit about him because it says that, that his praise is in the gospel and throughout all the churches, and he was also chosen by the churches 
So this is a man who was trusted by the church. They go, if we're sending a large amount of money on a mission, then here's a guy that could go with Titus and keep it safe because we know he has integrity. We know he has a heart for the gospel. Now again, he's not named, and it's interesting. And there's another guy that went with him too who isn't named. And perhaps Paul just didn't want to let anybody know who was carrying the cash. So he's like, the brother is going to have the bucks. Um, the brother referred to here is probably Luke. Um, and there are a couple of reasons why I think that. Um, if you cross-reference over to Acts chapter 16 and 17, we don't have time to go over there right now, but you see Luke referring as he tells the story of Paul's missionary journeys, there are times when he says, we... And then all of a sudden, he shifts to they. Now, Luke, who was a doctor, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. Um, he was a historian of sorts, an amateur historian. Luke was with Paul when he came to Macedonia, northern Greece. He was with them when he went to Philippi, and then he seemed to not be there as Paul left Macedonia and joined up with them later. And so the timing would be perfect for him to be one of the ones. Not only that, this interesting phrase that he uses, that um, his praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. If, in fact, Luke was compiling the gospel of Luke from multiple sources, as we believe that he did, and was probably at this point preaching the gospel and sharing his gospel that he was accumulating, and the churches were beginning to respond to it, the timing would be about right. This was about when, when the Gospel of Luke was, was written. And so if not, whoever this guy was, he was at least preaching the Gospel, and people appreciated it. But I think it's, um, you know, and I, at least there are a handful of scholars that agree with me. Uh, there are other people who think it's Barnabas, who think it's Silas, who think it's, it's uh, you know, um, Timothy, who there are all sorts of suggestions. Luke is the most credible one. Um, oh, some people think Mark. But Luke, I think, is the most credible um, possibility because of that interesting um, change of person in Acts 16 and 17. But um, regardless, it doesn't matter. It's a guy who was trusted, and this lets us know that when we're, when we're dealing with money that's God's money, it's been given to the Lord, we need to be careful with it. We need to allow people who are responsible to handle it and to deal with it. Not because money is the most important thing to God. I mean, you know who Jesus picked as his accountant, Judas. <laughs> he can make more money anytime he wants. But once money has been committed to God's uses and to the ministry per se, um, I think it takes on a little heavier responsibility. And so they seem to feel like, hey, this matters. I would not want to have to face God and explain how I ripped off his people, how I siphoned off and tapped into money that was given for other purposes and used it for a purpose that wasn't legitimate. That's why when we have the offering, we have it counted by several people. We have several levels of accountability with it. Um, not only so that people can't accuse us of something, but so that if you get a bad egg in there, um, instead of somebody who's trustworthy, you have a greater chance of, of getting a handle on it. And sad to say, it happens all the time. People are pilfering money from God's work, and, and um, pathetic. It doesn't get any lower than that. But Paul sent someone who was well-respected, who was involved in the gospel, who was a preacher, no doubt, himself. Uh, if it was Luke, it was somebody who wrote one of the gospels and the book of Acts and made sure that he was involved in, in carrying these assets and taking care of them. And he says... Uh, and not only that, verse 19, but who was also oh, by the, he was chosen by the churches to travel with it. No, verse 20, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us 
in this lavish gift which is administered by us. We wanted to stay above reproach, and that's why we handle it this way. Providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We wanted to be honest before God, but we also wanted to be honest just in front of people so that they would understand and know what we did with it. That's why it's important for people to, if they have questions, to be able to find out what, what's being done with the money, how it's being spent and what we're doing with it and how we make those decisions. And we always make sure that that's the case. And verse 22, and we have sent with them our brother, so this is another anonymous guy, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. So he's going, we have another guy, I'm not going to tell you who he is, but you'll see he's wearing a little earpiece and he has a bulge in the back of his toga, and he's coming too because I know how generous you guys are going to be, and I want to make sure this money is taken care of. Of course, people have speculated who this guy was, I just think he was some big guy who they sent. Um, if anyone inquires about Titus, and you'll see anyone inquires uh, is in italics, but it may be understood if anybody's going like, who is this guy and what's he doing, or how about these guys with him? So really what it says is if about Titus, so if you got a question about Titus, I'm telling you, my partner, my fellow worker, concerning you or if our brethren these other two guys are inquired about they are messengers of the churches the glory of christ therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf so he said these three guys titus and the two unnamed guys they are representing me you can trust them they are faithful individuals now notice where it says they are messengers of the churches the word there for messengers is the word apostles the word apostle means one who is sent now they weren't apostles in the capital a apostle sense of having apostolic authority there were certain requirements for the original apostles, they had to have seen Jesus after the resurrection, be personally recruited by him, and so on. So there were only um, strictly either 12, well, either, either 12 or 13 of those, depending on whether you believe Matthias actually became an apostle or whether you think they voted him in and then they found out he wasn't really legally a citizen or something. They booted him out, and, and Paul kind of took his place. But we know that the 11 apostles that were with Jesus, we know Matthias was selected in Acts chapter 1. Paul certainly had apostolic authority. But there are others. Paul, in other places, calls Barnabas and uh, Timothy and some other guys apostles. And here he calls Titus and, and two guys that we don't even know their names apostles, and so he's probably using it in a more generic sense of someone who is sent. In this more limited, less technical sense, probably um, our missionaries are technically apostles because they're sent out to go somewhere else and to do something. And that's really the nature of it. And so here um, they are called to be apostles. And so he says, respect them. Now in chapter 9, he gets more into the principles of giving as he applies what he's already said in chapter 8. And he says, Now, concerning the ministering to the saints, it's superfluous. You know that word in English just means extra. I don't really need to say it, but I'll say it anyway. For me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia, that's where Corinth is, was ready a year ago. And your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready 
as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. So he said, I know I didn't even need to tell you this, but on the other hand, I thought it'd be pretty embarrassing if I come there and take up a collection and you guys don't come through. Because I've been telling the guys in Macedonia how generous you guys are. I'm telling you how generous they are. Now they've come through. But I'm sending Titus and his two sidekicks down there because when I come, I don't want to be embarrassed by you guys not coming through. And so he's kind of saying, look, I know I don't need to tell you this, but I think it's necessary just in case to let you know we're going to be taking a collection. Sometimes we probably are too quick in church to go, okay, the ushers come forward, and you're like, oh, wait, I haven't had a chance to think, but I just don't like telegraphing the move too much. You know, I'm just going, okay, in about five minutes, we're going to take an offering. So if you want to get your checkbook out and start making the check out and start, you know, so I figure, yeah, if you come regularly, you'll figure out the routine. But he's just saying, yeah, you know, I don't want that to happen. And so that's why I'm writing to you, even though I'm sure you guys are going to be really generous. You wouldn't embarrass me, would you? <laughs> kind of cute, I think. But he ends it by saying generously and not as a grudging obligation. And he's going to get into the grudging thing in just a couple verses. But this I say, and now he gives this basic biblical principle. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What an important principle to understand that you will get out what you put in. It's kind of a radical thing. What he's saying is, if you give, then you'll be blessed. God's going to give back to you. And if you are a cheapskate with God, then God's going to be cheap with you at some point down the road. Now, I know that this has been abused by people who are just trying to rip you off and get your money from you, but it's still true. It's still what the Bible teaches, that if you are generous towards the Lord's work, God will make it worth your while. God will not be a debtor to anyone. As R.G. Letourneau, um, the industrialist who was known for so much of his uh, you know, charitable work for the church. He started out giving 10% to the church and then 20% and then 30 and he just got richer and richer. He was finally giving 90% of his money to the church and his 10% was still millions of dollars and he was living very well. And someone asked him about it one time and he said, you can't outgive God. He said, I keep shoveling the money out the front door and God keeps shoveling it in the back door, and he's using a bigger shovel than I am. <laughs> and now, again, not to put yourself in debt, and not to give when your heart isn't there, and when you're not really devoted to the Lord, and yet, this is a principle that Scripture makes clear. We often see in Philippians 4, and we love the verse that says, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory, which are in Christ Jesus. I love that promise. But if you go back and read Philippians 4 in context, he is saying it to people who just sent him a donation. And he's saying the gift that you sent was really a blessing. It helps keep this ministry going. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches. It's saying very clearly, whether you like it or not, that your generosity toward God is going to result in him being generous to you. Now, you don't give in order for God to give you back. You don't go like, um, okay, this is going to pay off. Because how God <laughs> pays you off may be differently than you expected. It may be that you find you're really richer having less, for instance. But God will always make it worth your while. That's his point. And if you want to, to sow, if you want to reap sparingly, then sow sparingly. If you want to 
to reap bountifully and be blessed by God, then you need to sow bountifully. It's the same thing with how much you do in serving God. How much time are you willing to give? How much of you, how much of you are you really willing to put on the line for God? You will see a correlation. And if things aren't adding up for you, if you're going, man, I'd love to give, but I'm really short, at least go back and ask the Lord, is there some way that I should have given something that I didn't? Take a look in your closet. Take a look in your garage. Take a look at, at your credit card statements and go, are there some things I bought that I really probably should have given to the Lord's work instead? And if you haven't made that tough evaluation, then don't be surprised at the end of the month when you're coming, coming up short and running out. But I've never seen Scripture say the righteous begging for bread. God will always take care of people who are being obedient to him. Um, really quick, turn over to Proverbs chapter 11. Just to hammer this home, even worse. No, <laughs> just kidding. Look at verse um, 24. Proverbs chapter 11. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. In other words, there's one who just spreads out what he has, and he ends up having more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, a Scrooge, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. And he goes on, this whole, uh, much of that chapter is about it. But it's the idea that what you have has a relationship to whether or not you've been generous. And um, so Paul wants them to know it sincerely because he wants them to be blessed. And he goes, if you figure this out, you'll always be blessed, you'll always have more. But if you're chintzy with God, he seems to have a spiritual principle that he figures, I guess I can't trust you with extra because you're going to buy dumb things with it. I remember when I was in college, I, I worked really hard. I, I was working full-time, being a youth pastor in, as well as working a machine shop full-time, plus going to school full-time. And I did that all the way through um, graduate school as well. And when I graduated from seminary, I was at graduation talking to the kid next to me. And I was saying, I can't believe how much money I've spent on this school. And he goes, oh, well, I had such and such a scholarship. I go, what? I had that scholarship in college, and I didn't think it would transfer through to seminary. He goes, oh, yeah, I just checked the little box for humanities, and you know, they've paid for all. And I thought, I've been killing myself. But then I started thinking, what would I have done with the extra money? And I probably would have done really stupid things to it. I would have probably had even more musical instruments, more motorcycles, more cars. I would have gone on more vacations. I would have got myself in more trouble. And so I just, right then, I just go, God, thank you. Because I don't think I was ready to handle that and things really worked out pretty well for me the way that it was. I benefited. I learned a lot from going through what I had to go through in order to make it through school. So the principle is there. If God knows, see, what God wants to do is to bless people who, who have needs. And he wants to bless the spread of the gospel. And if he knows that he can give money to you and you're going to give part of it to that, then he trusts you. But if you show that you're stingy and selfish with your money, sooner or later, like the proverb, Proverbs 11 says, man, you can be as stingy as you want, and all of a sudden you're not going to have anything. It just, it's funny how it works that way. And I've seen it happen again and again. It's a basic principle that we all need to be aware of. So let each one, verse 7, give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. It comes from the heart. If you can't give from your heart, God doesn't want you to give. 
if, you know, and that's where it comes from, like he said earlier. First put yourself in the plate before you ever cough up any money. And when you've given yourself, you'll see that God does a work in your heart, and from your heart you will really want to participate in what he is doing. And so he says, now in the Old Testament, the rule was you had to give 10%. Now, I try not to use the term tithe in reference to our offerings um, because tithe means 10%. Now, there are people who will argue with me about this and say that, oh, no, we're still supposed to tithe. Um, I don't see that in the New Testament. Now, if 10% was what they were required to do under the law, and actually it ended up amounting to more than that, I think 10% is a decent rule of thumb to go, man, under grace, we ought to at least be given that much. But this isn't a legalistic thing. But nowhere in the New Testament are we commanded to tithe. Now, you might go, wait a minute, I heard John Corson say that in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus was talking to the um, scribes and Pharisees, and he said, you tithe of your mint and aloes, but you neglect the greater things, you should have done that, but you should have also done the greater things that have that heart of love. And so John, who is the most godly man I know, teaches that that, me- that teaches in the New Testament that we're supposed to tithe. But as much as I love John, um, he- he's wrong because <laughs> he's not going to listen to this. I'm not worried about it. Unless somebody rats me out and sends it to him. But believe me, we've had this conversation and he knows that I think he's wrong. Um, and sometimes I'll hear other pastors who I love dearly who will make the same error. Um, for one thing, if there, if it's also in Luke 11 and Matthew 23, the same conversation. But look, if you're going to find New Testament defense for support for tithing, do you really want to take it from the Scripture where Jesus is ripping the Pharisees for what they didn't do? And then he says, yeah, it's fine that you tithe, but that's really weak. But what makes it completely wrong is that Jesus hadn't yet died and rose from the dead. So it's not the era of grace. It's not the new covenant is not in place yet. During Jesus's life, they were still in the Old Testament system and they still had to follow the law. So he said, yeah, you should have done that because They were still under the law, case closed, it's not 10%. But your heart, can you honestly go before the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to do? How much can I give? Then the question becomes, how much of what God has given you do you dare spend on yourself as opposed to, or how much of it just want to save up and leave for your kids so they will, you know, waste it? Or how much do you really want to put to eternal use? And you have to seek your heart. Now, if in your heart you feel totally fine throwing a buck in the offering plate every week and, and you're clean with that, ain't no problem. I wouldn't even tell you to up it to $2. <laughs> it's always funny when you count the offering on Easter. Because for years at Costa Mesa, you know, when we, I, the pastors count the money, and on Easter there would be like, thousands of $1 bills in the plate because all those people that just come at Christmas and Easter, you know, put their dollar in. But, but if that's where your heart is, then you have much greater problems than that you're not giving. And really, God doesn't want your money. God loves a cheerful, the word there in the Greek is hilarious, giver. And what you can't give and be excited about, don't give. Just go ahead and blow it. Go ahead and spend it somewhere else. Go spend it on yourself. That's okay. Maybe add an extra piece of furniture or an extra, you know, something else or another accessory on your car or whatever. That'll be better for you than if you give your money and it's killing you. You know, you're, as you're putting it in the offering plate, you're shaking and you're like, oh man, I hate to do this. God goes, just keep it. You know what? Just keep it. God wants our giving to be a reflection of our heart. And therefore, he says, if you can't give cheerfully, don't give. That's all God wants. Same thing goes for serving God. If you're like, hey, we're doing shoeboxes for Mexico this year, 
And you're going, I hate when that happens. I can't stand putting those stupid shoeboxes together. But man, I know Dave made me feel like you're not really a member of the church unless you do at least one. So fine. And so you just go, you know, grab a couple of toys, throw it in the box and dump it in here and go, I don't what age is it for? I don't know and I don't care. It's just, it's just for Mexicans, whatever. You know? Just forget it. Nobody needs your presence that much. And if your heart is right, you'll love to give. You would never have to tell people whose heart is right, you ought to give to the Lord. You never tell people whose heart is right, you want to get involved in ministry. You want to serve the Lord. You want to share your faith. You don't, you don't have to tell that to people whose heart is right. But a lot of times our hearts kind of twisted up and, and goofed up. And as a result, Paul is giving us this to make us feel like, wow, I'm not cheerful about giving. In fact, I'm really not giving much of anything. I wonder what's wrong with my heart. That's the point. That's what he's trying to say. And he said... God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. If your heart is right and you give from your heart and you give generously, sacrificially, and hilariously, he says, God's going to pay you back. God's going to bless you in ways you couldn't even imagine. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Psalm 112, just saying the righteous person, you can read that whole psalm, the righteous person is a person who gives, the person who's willing to help out someone who's in need, the person who, who gives to the Lord's work over and above what they have to. Now, verse 10, may he who supplies seed to the sower in other words, he's the one that gave you everything that you've ever had anyway. And bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. He says, now I pray that the God who gave you what you have will end up bringing increase to you. Again, there's nothing to apologize for if God has blessed you. And we'll see it as we get um, on Sundays when we get over to the end of 1 Timothy and Paul talks about rich people and how they're to handle their riches. But the idea is, no, God, want, he gives you everything, as he says there in 1 Timothy 6, to enjoy. So it's okay to have extra. It's okay to have a nice dinner. It's okay to have some luxury. But just make sure that if you're living a comfortable life, that you're also giving generously. And God's just going to keep making your life more comfortable. He's going to continue to bless you. And he said, I just pray that God will bless you that way, and I pray that you'll increase, so that as God gives you more, you'll be able to give even more. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality. That means voting Democrat. No, just kidding. It's just, <laughs> it just means generosity. Liberal shouldn't really be a bad term. It's just kind of become one which causes thanksgiving through us to God. He goes, I'll be so excited if you give and then God blesses you and you have a lot more. And, and then when you give more, you, you give even more and I'll be so thankful to God because I'll know you'll be blessed. People that, are, that benefit from the gifts will be blessed and God will be pleased. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. You don't only help people, you're helping God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. He said the people who get helped are blessed because they're touched that you would help them. Steve and I saw this when we were over in Cuba because we had given, our church had given some money to Cuba after a hurricane had hit them. And we met with these pastors and they were telling us stories about when because of what we gave them, they were able to give mattresses to people whose beds had been washed away. And they were able to give food and blankets and clothes and things like that out of that. And as they were talking to us, there were tears in their eyes and the, the gratitude was there were tears in our eyes. It was so touching. And 
you got the idea that it was about more than, than mattresses and blankets and food, that it was about being in a tough situation and knowing that somebody cares about you. And that's what Paul's getting at here. People will be blessed that you cared enough to give. And, and not only that, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. When you give, you're, you're confessing the gospel of Christ. You're showing that you really believe in grace. And for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And when you give to people who aren't able to give to you, often when they're children of God, they pray for us. And I guarantee we get the better deal. We send over money, we send over supplies, we send over people, and they pray for us. And we are blessed. And so again, a fitting close to this. I won't be talking to you about giving until it comes up in the scriptures again. Thanks be to God for, I'll just give this CD out to people regularly. No, just kidding. <laughs> Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God has given to us so much more than we could ever give to anyone else. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for what you've given to us. The poorest person among us is richer than most people in this world. Help us to be obedient to you. Help us to listen to you as you speak to our hearts. Be obedient to that as we give. Lord, I thank you for people here who have given so generously. Many of them have been blessed as a result of their generosity. And I thank you for proving your word to be true. But Lord, there may be others who are coming up short because they still haven't learned this lesson. For their own good, please teach them the blessings of hilarious giving, of having a heart of sacrifice, of being willing to participate, contribute in whatever small way they can to the needs of others and of your, your ministry of your word. So, Lord, help us to remember these truths. Help us to live by them. Help us to never spend money without thinking of them. And, Lord, um, you have blessed us. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.